Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being here tonight and just thank you for your grace. It's, uh, it's certainly the thing that uh, we need in this life and to be able to make it through this life. And we're thankful, Father, that it's not anything that we did, that you provided it all. And we're grateful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, before we get started, I did want to let you know that the uh, Bible conference is coming up uh, July, the second weekend in July. And uh, some of the titles of the people that are going to be speaking, of course, we have Pastor Dave is going to be here. And so his title is, uh, So You Want to Please God, His Standards Are Yours. I like that. <laughs> so I think that's going to be a great grace message. Finding Grace in the Old Testament by Brother Don Hewitt. Um, Child Training or Chastening by Brother Courtney Jeffrey. Um, also, we got some guys coming in from Pensacola, Brother Dan Brake, A Biblical Understanding of Christian Liberty. And uh, Stephen Thomas, A Case Study of Satanic Attacks, Simon, Peter, and Pearl. And, um, of course, my topic is going to be Understanding Unrighteousness and looking at the difference between unrighteousness and sin. So that's the second weekend in July. And just a heads up, this is our last class for this quarter. Coming up in the fall is uh, the Christian Life class uh, that I will teach. And then also uh, Brother Don's going to teach um, Bibliology. And so we're looking forward to that. So what we've tried to do in this class on grace is just try to give you an understanding. Because I... I think it's so important for a believer to understand uh, what grace is. And, and we thought it good to have a class on grace because everybody talks about grace, but not a lot of people understand grace. And so um, a lot of the, the time we end up putting ourselves under law, either the Mosaic law, and of course most people here won't do that, but we have our own laws that we we have that we come up with and so that's the thing that I think is the the problem is that we end up putting ourselves on the rules ourselves to either justify ourselves to other people or in many instances to God and what we're doing when we do that is we're supplanting the work that Christ did we're actually saying that that's not enough that there's something else I have to do and I don't think people consciously do that. But we do it nevertheless. And so we're going to look at the responsibilities. So we, we've looked at the fact and hopefully have painted the case over the last 11 weeks that Christ has done it. And it's apart from anything that you and I can do. And I, I hope that you walk away from this class understanding that. That you understand that it's not by any rule that I can put on myself. And I think that that's where a lot of believers are today. They come up with their own rules for themselves. And it's easy to do in America because America, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it really tend, lends itself to um, <clears throat> John Wayneism, let me say. <laughs> the independent spirit of I can do it myself. And that's good to a degree, right, in that... Uh, you know, you obviously don't want someone to be slovenly, but everything that we do is run through our position in Christ, God's will for our life. He's the one that does it all, right? So I can't really take credit for anything. I look back over my life and me and Joyce's life, and I look at, I think it was Courtney that was saying yesterday, look at all of the things you do and we do on our own strength. And then look at the things that God did. And you can see the difference. If you're honest with yourself. If you're honest with yourself, you can see that the things that you do, they go nowhere. And the things that God does, why? That's, that's quite a different story. And so if, we've tried to paint this story for you that grace is totally void of anything. That Christ did the work. He did the work for our initial salvation. He did the work for our present tense salvation. He did the work for our future tense salvation. And if you and I are trusting in any other thing at any other time, you're not living by grace. 
you're not living by grace. And so what happens then is that a lot of people, and you have a lot of naysayers out there who will say, well, you're just telling people that to be lawless. You know what they call you? There's that dreaded name they'll call you. Right? You're antinomian. When I first heard that word, I'm thinking, antinomian? Is that some kind of Martian name? or What is that? But you know what they're trying to say? Is they say, oh, you are trying to tell people that you are against the law. No, that's not what we're telling people, that you're against the law. And I think it's just a matter of prepositions. So anti means against. We're not anti. All we're saying is you are not hooper. You're not under law as a rule of life. And I didn't say that. Scripture says it. That you're not under law. You're under grace. And, and it's grace every moment. It's not just when I get in trouble. It's not just when I need God. It's not just at initial salvation. It's grace all the time. And the moment that I leave that place of safety, basically, I'm on my own. And it's hard for believers to see that. And so here, the other side of it, you'll see, and we'll talk about it today and just put some scriptures in front of you to show you that just because we're under grace, it doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want to do. So there's a responsibility under grace. But it's not like it was under law. Under law, it said, do this or else this is what's going to occur Right? Under grace, most of what you see in the New Testament, you know this is what you should do. You really ought to do it. If you know what's in your best interest, you should do this. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's not enough. Unless there's the specter of some grand punishment, most of us would say, huh. I'll take my chances. <laughs> right? I'll take my chances. It's not that, it's there going to be a punishment to it? Well, I don't, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> right? You see it at work? I saw it at FedEx for many, many years. Unless there was the specter of them saying, this could lead to discipline up to and including termination, then people would pretty much just go as far over as they could. <laughs> But once they put those words in, then, oh, that's a different story. This is really serious. <laughs> and so that's kind of how people are. But look at what God has done. I, I believe one of the things you see is that grace teaches us. It child trains us how to live righteously, godly, and godly in this present age. Grace does that. You don't have to worry about it. You have these people that say, oh, if you don't tell people about the law and how to live by law, they'll never turn around. They'll never do what God wants them to do. Well, there's a lot of people living by law today and they're still not doing what God wants them to do. Have you realized that? People living by law all the time. And they're deluding themselves because they think that they're doing what God wants them to do and they're not. And they'll find it out. Really, and it's going to be a sad story for them. So there's several things we want to wrap up with, and we just want to look at the fact of um, what the responsibility is uh, under grace. But before we do that, let's look at the top of page 24. And for those who are online, I did upload the other outlines online, and then the other side of it, we'll give you the test, and we have given you the test here. You can take them home, and I'll, I'll uh, post the answers online. Uh, either tonight or tomorrow. So the test is online as well, so for those who are online. And so scripture outlines the recipients of grace. And so who is it that really um, can really benefit from grace and receive grace? And so notice how Paul talks about it all throughout the, the New Testament, right? And not only Paul, but also um, some of the other writers 
But look in the and uh, his the Pauline epistles. You just see it over and over and over. Just look at some of these instances. Romans one seven. In Romans one and uh, chapter one and verse seven. Notice Paul just continually talks about the fact that you are in possession of the grace of God, and he says it to almost every church that he writes to. Look at Romans 1.7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you. Uh, really, you can say it's really a... Uh, idea of um, grace is to you. In other words, you're in, you're in, in possession of, of grace right now. Uh, one of the things that the uh, Greeks would do is they would give a verbless clause and by leaving it out and you fill it in, it's to, it's to emphasize, yes, you have it. So grace is to you. You are in possession of it right now. And notice, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again in 1 Corinthians 1.3. Now I find it interesting here because of the fact of what's happening with these Corinthians. If you go through 1 Corinthians and you look at what he says about them. In chapter 3 he says they were carnal. In chapter um, 11 there's divisions among them. Look at all the things he says about them. And yet look at this. So if you think that, that, that things that you do will change the grace of God, it doesn't. It doesn't. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter um, 1 and verse 3. Uh, go back and let's start with one, actually. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and to Sosthenes, our brother, unto uh, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in G Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours grace is unto you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and notice he goes on he doesn't stop there verse 4 I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you may uh, you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not just talking to those from Chloe's household. He's talking to the entire church. A lot of them were carnal. Didn't change their standing with God. Didn't change the fact that they were in possession of the grace of God. Though they weren't utilizing it, some of them. See, you and I would do it differently. If people cross us, we yank back any hospitality we would be showing toward them. We yank back how we would see them. We change how we would interact with them. God doesn't. So we, we think from a human point of view, and, and, and that gets us off in a lot of ways. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 2. Paul, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace is to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You go through Paul's, uh, the Pauline epistles, he continues to pound it over and over and over and over and over. The fact that these believers are in possession of the grace of God. You say, well, why does he keep saying that over and over and over again? Because I think it's one of the most important things for a believer to be able to understand. Why? Because it is from grace that you are able to be empowered to be able to do anything in this life. If we're not living by grace, what strength do we have? We have none. None. So when I'm not living by grace, here's what you can be sure of. 
I'm working on my own strength. And wait, get back at the beam of seat judgment because those works are going to go up in a blaze of glory. They're going to go up. Dan talked about it. On the way up, people are going to be looking up saying, what is all that smoke in the air? (laughs) I don't know if that's... Right, fall into the ground. <laughs> uh, and so that's what's going to happen. And notice the benediction of the New Testament writers also included a reminder of the possession of the grace of God. Now look at, uh, for example, in Hebrews 13.25. But just look at how many instances, and we don't have them all here. Look at how many instances in which the writers are trying to remind the believer of the possession of the grace of God. In the intro, in the benediction, grace, 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 grace. And I'm not ashamed ashamed to say it. Do you know that people have been bullied into not living by grace? Well, yeah, they talk about you. They malign you. Oh, you're just believing that easy believism. That's kind of what they say. Oh, no, I don't believe that. (laughs) Not easy believism. It's the provision that God has provided. And so notice Hebrews chapter 13 and verse, uh, notice in verse 21, uh, 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom is glory forever and ever, uh, I think it's into the ages. Uh, And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Now, how would you end your letter if you wrote to someone today, Let me say email. (laughs) If you wrote to them today, would you remind them grace is with you all? You realize how much Paul ended it? He says this is uh, the way that I end many of my epistles. Reminding people that you are in possession of the grace of God. Nothing is going to stop you from being in possession of the grace of God. And you got a lot of people who think, oh no, I've done something. You just don't understand what I've done. Well, I think Christ has. And I think there is this thing where he said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died as a substitute for our sins, plural. Oh, maybe he forgot that one. He missed that one that you did. Oh, I, so now he's not omniscient. He missed it, right? He didn't know about that, right? No, he knew about every single one of them. So every believer is in possession of the grace of God. Now God provides grace. Now notice it's one of the limited things that he does that the the believer who is living and they are prideful are not experiencing that grace. Now notice a couple of times something happens here where he says in James 4, 6, and then also in 1 Peter 5, 5. Doesn't mean that they're not, it's not available to them, but <laughs> they're not going to experience it for sure. Notice in James chapter 4 and verse 6. Now James writes, and he's writing to these believers that had run from um, Jerusalem after the, um, the death of uh, James, the brother of John, and so they were out and, um, and having some issues. And notice in verse 4, he talks about the problems they were having. In verse 1, he says, Whence come its wars and fightings among you? Come they hence not even from your lust at war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire and you have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask. See that word a mask? You ask evilly. And this is that word kakos, and I believe that's what that really is driving, is that kakos evil is you're doing something for your own selfish purposes. And so he says, you adulterers, uh, 
you, you ask amiss that you might consume them on your own lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Wherefore, uh, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, uh, in other words, if you determine to be a friend of the world, you at the same time, yeah, really I would say you are constituting yourself to be an enemy against God. The one who is making himself to be or determining to be a friend of the world is at the same time constituting himself to be an enemy against God because the world is at enmity against him. And so notice he goes on to say in verse 7, do you not think, um, oh, it's actually in 7, I put 6, do you, do you not think in verse 5, Scripture said in vain, that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble, those who are made low, the opposite of those who have this exalted opinion of themselves. And so you, you see that, and, you, and actually you see a similar verse that is said there in First Peter 5, 5 that they're not going to be experiencing the grace of God in that way because of their condition. Those in need, um, notice Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. This is just a wonderful scripture here as it talks about the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus And notice what he says in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The word infirmities is actually our weaknesses. And so here you have the son who is sitting up, and we see it in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, at the right hand of the, of the father, and he's interceding on behalf of the saints. And so what, what is he interceding for? He's interceding to keep us saved. And so he's interceding for us, and so he can, be t- he cannot, he, he can understand the weaknesses, because, but was at all points tempted as we are, uh, yet without sin, and I believe here, apart from a sin nature. Let us therefore, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and and find grace to help in a time of uh, need. Uh, find, um, Find help in a time of need. And so God's not going to say to the believer, you go to him and you say, God, I'm, I'm in trouble. I've got this going on and I've got that. Get away from me, boy. I've had it with you. <laughs> I'm done. Right? This is what we do to other people, right? But God doesn't do that. And so you see that um, with regard to uh, those in the time of need. Now let's look at some of the responsibilities <laughs> under law, I mean under grace. Now look at Romans, the sixth chapter. And one of the things that's interesting is Paul talks about what God did in Romans chapter 5, and then he comes to a crescendo and he asks a question in order to go into uh, how the believer is able to overcome his sin nature. And so he talks about um, Adam and the problems that Adam wrought on all of mankind and then what God did in reversing that. And then he says, well, on the basis of what Christ has done in reversing what Adam did, the question invariably for some is this, verse 1 of chapter 6, what? Shall we continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? God forbid. So here you see that, uh, and notice in verse 21, he's answering the, the, the statement that he made in verse 21 of chapter 5, that as sin hath reigned unto death, um, uh, really uh, on account of death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. So then if God has already accounted for all of the sins that I'll commit, 
why don't I just kind of fill up what's lacking of those sins and just keep on doing it? So Paul anticipates the <laughs> argument that people would have. And by the way, we're not the first people that have been called antinomian. I think Paul was called that. And they were accusing him that you're teaching this license to just do whatever you want to do. And what's interesting about it is what we try, the point we tried to make earlier, these people who believe in law teaching and that you have to teach the Ten Commandments for people to actually act righteous, you don't find that in Scripture for this dispensation. But you do find in um, Titus 2, uh, 11, that grace is what teaches us how to act right. And, uh, and so Paul says, what shall we, shall we, we um, say then? Shall we continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? God forbid. And really, it's, may it never be so. Why? How shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer in it? <clears throat> well, if you really are living in your position in Christ and you're living by grace, you're dead to the sin nature. I mean, the sin nature really does not have sway over you. Now, it doesn't mean that the sin nature is not alive, and I like the way that Courtney gives the illustration about the refrigerator. You put a refrigerator here that's old, you get a brand new one. You unplug the old one, but it's still there. And you can certainly plug it up. And sometimes we like to plug it up just for good measure, right? <laughs> well, just this one time, let me plug it up and see <laughs> See if it still works. And you, you can do that. And so Paul is making the argument that our, our uh, identity together with Christ has rendered inoperable the sin nature. That we died together with him, we've been buried together with him, and we've been raised together with him. And so now the sin nature has is, is been rendered inoperable. It doesn't have the power over us. We actually have to work to make that sin nature do what it's capable of doing. And so it's not a natural thing for a believer to, um, to have a desire to do that. And so you have that issue. And so as a believer lives by grace, the believer understands, no, I, that's not who I am. I'm dead to the sin nature. Uh, it, it's alive, of course. But you know the sin nature can put thoughts in your mind. But when you were unsaved, it was like a lord over you. And you just did it. You know what's different today? The sin nature doesn't lord it over you. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. It doesn't lord it over you. And so that's a, that's a huge difference. And so the believer does not have to remain in, in the sin nature and that we, we are uh, exhorted not to live or remain in the sin nature. The other thing that you see is that believers are urged not to misuse freedom under grace. And so we've been set free from the sin nature, but it's not set free to do what I want to do. I'm set free to be a servant uh, to God. And so notice Paul kind of put that, uh, he kind of captures this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 23. There's several places you could see this, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now he says this to the Corinthians, and it's a really interesting statement that he says here. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter, I said 6 and 23, uh, 6 and 6, 12, I'm sorry. And so he says, uh, he's, the problem with the Corinthians was they had some issues concerning um, um, how to uh, properly, properly use their, their knowledge and their freedom. And he says, uh, verse 9, he starts with this, this interesting thing. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, be not deceived, or stop being deceived. Excuse me, being deceived. Neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Well, here this covers, covers some of your people who are confused out there today. They can call it whatever they want to call it, but Scripture calls it exactly what it is. And so you can, you know, you can get caught up with this and following what these people say. 
you know, but they, they're off. Nor thieves, nor, uh, nor um, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice what he says in verse 11. For these people who believe that you can uh, be this way and actually be priest in the church. Notice what he says here. And such were some of you. You were this way. But you are washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So that idea of lawful is, so all things are permitted but not all things confer a benefit. You see, not everything that you, I potentially could do is beneficial to do. It, it might be beneficial. You could see this with a lot of the different uses of, of the believer's freedom. There's no uh, law in Scripture about doing certain things in this dispensation. But you have to ask yourself, is it beneficial? Is this going to confer a benefit to someone for me to do this? And now he comes back and he says, all things are lawful for me, but here's the issue that I think that causes a lot of problems. But I will not, I will not be um, brought under the power of any. That word power is actually the word exousia. And it's the actually the the authority. Something has, I've allowed something that I've done that's not a sin. I'm free to do it. But now it's gained authority over me. And it's controlling me. And I'm not in control of it. You see. So you have this issue. And this was an issue in the Corinthian church. One of the issues was idea of you know eating meat that um, was uh, sold in uh, the um, the uh, temple that was uh, offered up to idols and for some believers that was a problem that stumbled their conscience if other believers did that so just to say that you were a believer you said well yeah you know what are you making a big deal about it's just meat sure it's just meat but what if I go over there and eat this meat and I've got a brother over here and they see me going in, in there and they're thinking, look at what he's doing. He's going into this sinful place. And I say, get over it, man. Get over it. And so, I mean, that can happen. And I can misuse the freedom that I have and it's not going to be beneficial to another believer. You know the funny story that I've told you before about me not going into getting alcohol in the liquor store because my mother-in-law wanted me to go get liquor for rum cake. And I started thinking, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then I thought, well, maybe I can just put on a hat and just put on sunglasses and nobody will see me. <laughs> well, once I said that, I shouldn't be going in to do it, right? It's just, you know, if you have to do all of that, probably you shouldn't be doing it. But the believer is being led by the Spirit to make these decisions about what's right. And I'm conscious of the fact that what I do, that I could do something and use this freedom in the wrong way, even though it's, it's permitted, it could cause another believer to stumble. And so that's something that, um, as the believer lives by grace, that he's cognizant of. And so notice God doesn't say, if you cause a believer to stumble, I'm going to do this to you. But he says, hey, you really should be thinking about this. And so uh, you look at that, it's also the same scriptures used in uh, the 10th chapter. Uh, he says it again in a, in, a, in a little bit different way in the 23rd verse of uh, chapter 10. And then he adds um, some insight here in chapter 10. And he says in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful to me, but notice here again, he doesn't add the issue of all things, 
uh, I will not be brought under the authority of any, but he adds this, this, this point, not all things edify. And so what I really should be thinking about is what's going to build up my brother, what's going to be built, build up my sister, not what I want to do that makes me feel good. Right? And, uh, and so that's a big thing. And uh, notice he goes on to say, verse 24, let no man seek his own things or the things of himself. But every man, um, really it's the things of, a, of others of a different kind. And then he goes on to, um, notice how he ends this in verse uh, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. <clears throat> Give none offense to neither Jew, Jews nor Gentiles nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not sinking my own profit, but the prophet of um, the prophet of uh, seeking uh, the prophet of the many um, that they might be saved, and I think to, in that instance, an interesting uh, statement that he uses there. And so the, the idea of the misuse of freedom, and so even though I'm under grace, there's a responsibility under grace in how I use the freedom that I have, that it might. Uh, be in the right way to glorify God, not just n n thinking about doing and taking care of what's in my best interest, you see. And I think that a mature person would do that. So, uh, you have, as you, I've seen kids that as you've taught kids, and as they grow and they're living in the right way and they understand what freedom is, you don't have to keep holds on them as they, they get to a certain age. They are responsible enough to know how to behave, you see. And law can't do that. It doesn't have an ability to do that. All law will, pr pr will, will um, produce in people is that it will produce a conscience um, of doing right as long as other people are watching. It doesn't have any uh, capability of dealing with me acting right no matter who's watching. And so that's, that's an issue. And so notice one of the other things that Paul points out. He uses three words to urge the believers in the Galatian churches and the Corinthian churches, and even you see it indirectly in the Hebrew, among the Hebrew believers, um, to not set aside the grace of God. Don't do it. Now notice, three places we'll see it. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, and we've talked about this one on several occasions as we've come through here. The importance of realizing where my power lies and um, understanding that it's only as I live by the grace of God that I'm going to be able to enjoy the benefits that God has provided. And so notice he says here in verse 20, I am crucified together with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate. That word frustrate is actually uh, a fact. Oh, uh, and, and it has the idea to treat with indifference or as unimportant to one's goals or directions. That would be my definition for it. So you're taking the grace of God and you say, yeah, 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 I know that that's something, but it's not that important. And so you say, I do not set aside or treat as indifferent or unimportant the grace of God. For if righteousness came by law, and again, one of the things that we've seen in this class and we continue to see all throughout the New Testament, not just the Mosaic law. If righteousness came by any kind of law, then Christ died. Um, in vain and that word vain that Doria uh, 
without a there's without with um with strings attached. Uh, with no strings attached. Is that or the point that he's trying to make here is that he died in vain without a point. And so notice you, you see it again in um <clears throat> Hebrews twelve fifteen. Hebrews twelve fifteen. So Paul is talking to the Jewish believers here, and he made it a point <clears throat> to emphasize the importance of them um, uh, yielding themselves to the grace of God. And notice what he says in verse 14 as he's closing out, and he says, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace from God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And that's where it failed there. It actually has that idea of to fall short of, or to, to be deficient in the grace from God. And uh, notice one of the things that it produced there is this idea of uh, one who was involved in the root of bitterness. And then I think indirectly here you see it in uh, the second chapter where Paul talks about uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and he talks about this great salvation. In verse 1 he says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. That word slip means, now I give you two definitions of this. I like Reinica Rogers, he says, the word means to flow by. The word has the use of to describe a river that flows aside from its normal channel in the sense of flooding <coughs> or escaping its channel. It was used of something slipping from one's memory or of a ring slipping from one's finger or of a crumb going down the wrong way. It is also indicated of a ship drifting away. And so here you have this grace. It's so great a salvation that we have and you just ignore it. How many times have you bought something at the store and you thought, well, oh, this is going to be a great product, and then you just set it to the side, pay no attention to it, go by, years go by, and then you go back to this product and you start using it for some application and you say, wow, why did I ever use this? This is great. And I had it here all the time. Do you know that's how people are treating grace? They really pay no attention to it. They don't think it's of any value. Yet, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, be empowered. How? Where does empowerment come from? 2 Timothy 2, 1. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There is an invigoration that the believer gets as you and I live by grace. Hebrews 12, 12, 28. Now notice in 12, 28, he says, Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Um, Pastor Dave had that letter series a couple of years ago. Anybody remember that in the conference? Well, here you have a subjunctive, a hortatory subjunctive. And in this, what you're doing is Paul, and I believe who is the author here, he's telling the believers, hey, you guys, you're trying to live by law. That's not going to work for you. Come and join me and let us live by grace. And so notice, he says, let us live by grace whereby we may serve God uh, serve as a priest God acceptably or well-pleasingly and with reverence that um, uh, uh, and with awe with, excuse me, with reverence and with godly fear for our God is a consuming fire and this um, reverential appreciation uh, for God and so, um, and so you see it again there and so the last thing that we'll see, that we would see that is, is something that is the, the believer should be focused on as he's living by grace, that is a responsibility. And notice if you turn over to John chapter 15, you see it. <clears throat> 
And so Paul talks about the importance of the believer abiding. And so now in order to abide, you're recognizing that we have this great position in Christ. And as a result of having this great position in Christ, you are at ease with who God says that you are. You know, some people are raised in families and they don't even want to mention the name of their family. Some people will change the name of their family because they're, they are ashamed of their family. Well, here we have this position in Christ and how many believers, how do we, how many take up the, say, or really own it and really live there? That our whole identity and how we see ourselves in this world it's through our position in Christ. And just let me give you an example, and I've told you about working for FedEx. So when I did go to work at FedEx, the time that I had on my uniform, and they would tell you, don't do anything bad when you have this uniform on. You're representing FedEx. Even if you leave this building and I'm going down the highway and somebody tries to run me off the road, smile. <laughs> You're not supposed to do things in that uniform that would be uh, a detriment to FedEx. Well, you can see this in regard to a believer living in this position, right? This is who I am. When I was at work and I was in that uniform and I was in that truck and in the building, I saw myself as a FedEx employee. I identified as a FedEx employee. <laughs> That's who I was. Do we identify with who we really are? On a continuum. And are we at ease with this? And so John says this in John chapter 15. He says, I am divine, verse 1, you are, uh, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth um, fruit, he purges it, and he, uh, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And so this ideal to remain or to be at ease in, right? In me. In, in, in that position. And so you go back to the fourth, uh, 14th chapter and verse 20. He says, in that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. So I have two different things that are happening. God has placed me in Christ from the day that I believe the facts of the gospel. And that's what Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5. If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's what Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5 also. Henceforth now we know no man according to the flesh. He says, hey, I knew Jesus according to the flesh. But do you know where Paul's focus is in his epistles? He's not talking about Christ doing his earthly ministry. You know what his focus is? The resurrected and glorified Christ. That's what you see him talking about over and over and over again. And so there's a new identity. You and I have a new identity as a result of being in Christ. It's not, I'm not Kevin Jeffrey who was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma back in 1961. I'm part of a new creation. That's my real identity. And as I live in that identity and am at ease in it, the Holy Spirit can, as I settle down and do that, do you know that I can allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in me? But so many believers are so busy trying to make it up on their own. They're trying to do it their way. I like the way Pastor Dave said it some years ago. They have the Frank Sinatra syndrome. Remember Frank, old Frankie? Old Blue Eyes? What did he have the song, I Did It My Way? And you go and you read that song. It's really interesting. It's really a, a song of an arrogant person. 
And some people are content that I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it, and they are not abiding. And so we didn't get a lot, uh, into that, but you have the outline there, and I'll let you do the study on it. And we'll stop just briefly enough to be able to take any questions that you might have. So questions? You said the test, the answers will be on that. Yeah, I'll put a copy of the uh, test with the answers on it. Uh, at least by tomorrow. I will put my test up there. Yeah. So and, and I'll, I'll maybe a day or two and then put the answer together. Okay, and Dan said he'll put his, his answers on as well. Uh, and also, I did want to say this. <laughs> uh, I did pass out because we talked about the believer in Christ and all of the things that we have as positions and possessions. And my wife did a fabulous chart. She spoke out at CCM a few weeks ago. And she put this chart together. And I said, hey, can I use your chart, honey? <laughs> she said, sure. And so she did a good job of putting this chart together. And so I gave you that chart on positions and possessions in Christ. That, is that on the internet as well? I can upload that to the internet as well. All right. So I hope that you uh, got a lot out of this class. And I hope, if nothing else, that you walk away with, that you have a better appreciation for the grace that we have and that you learn how to live by grace and allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. And I think at the Bema Seat Judgment, it's going to go well for you, or for your works, let me say, and that God will be glorified in the way that we conduct our lives here. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to uh, go through this year, yet another year, of the Bible Institute and just so thankful for the provisions that you've given through this and we know that a lot of the things that have happened and and uh, and uh, have occurred as a result of uh, the, the people that have taught here and the people that have attended have all been a byproduct of what you have desired and so I just are we're thankful father for your provision that we could get together and study through your word in, in this manner we're thankful for uh, how you brought it about and that you're in control of it. And just I would uh, pray that you would protect us as we uh, go from uh, tonight and uh, that we'd be able to make it back safely for another year unless the rapture occurs, which would be better. And we're thankful, Father, for that potential in your son's name. Amen.